Thanks for joining us here in Centralia, Illinois, where we are a community of people who are not perfect and don't pretend to be. Our hope and prayer is that through the following message, you are encouraged, blessed, and inspired to meet the Lord in a powerful way. got to turn on my mic, I think. Hello, church. Thank you. As we know, I probably need some interaction. So uh, the good thing is um, uh, if, um, so I, in preparation to to preach today, I, I was, I've been super nervous and I, I've been, uh, you can, as you can imagine, and, and I started asking God, I said, you know, I don't, why, why did I say yes to this? Why did Ronnie ask me to do this? Um, I don't, I don't want to get up here. I don't want to be a preacher. I don't want to be a pastor. I don't want anything to do with standing up here. Um, so other than saying rah, rah, rah on Sunday morning, I like that, but I don't want to uh, preach a message. Um, and so I started going through these, these fears in preparation for, for today. Um, and, and I started to, um, and, and as I turned to God with it, I, he really just convicted my heart and said, uh, why are you afraid? And, and I, my response is, I, I fear I'll fail. And he says, why does that matter if you're obeying me? And my response is, I fear what people will think. And God says, why do you care? And I say, I fear they will reject me. Because I'm not good enough. Has anybody ever felt not good enough? Yeah, I have. Sometimes I um. Sometimes I think like, God, what's your plan for me? Where do you want me? Like, how can you use somebody like me? Does anybody think that? My earliest memory as a child, the earliest memory I can look back. And, and I'll tell you, parents, there's some things I'm probably going to talk about today if you don't want your kids to hear that might uh, be hard to to take. Um, the earliest memory when I think back uh, in my childhood is I was maybe two or three years old, and my my mom, she was, she was with a guy um, who was abusive. Um, I remember that my little brother, Stefan, was – in the room, um, so I know that I was probably three because he's two and a half years older than me. He was just a little bitty baby. And I remember the window. We, we were locked in the house, and Mom's screaming and crying. And I remember the window being busted as she goes for the phone to pick up the phone, I presume to call the police because uh, she's being abused. Um, uh, the window gets busted out, and this guy grabs her and drags her through the window. And that's the earliest childhood memory I have. And so I think about that. I'm like, that's how I started out, right? So I'm like, how can you use a guy like me? And so as we're going through the, the I Am Second series, um, I know why Ronnie picked me to preach because, because he says, man, you need to, other people need to see how God, God can use us. And my whole life I've, I've thought, probably not good enough. Um, it's just something I've gotten used to. Another early childhood memory I have is from the time I was about four years old 
until nine years old, nearly nightly, my older sister molested me. Nearly nightly, my older sister would would make me do things with her, to her, um, that just made me feel like that was the norm. I certainly didn't grow up in a in a home that um, that was faith based. I grew up in a home that was the exact opposite of. I uh, I. I'd never went to church um, until I was probably, I don't know, first time I remember going to church was because we was getting a, a meal. Um, my mom had us go to a church, and the church was giving out a meal. And so I, I never had a faith-based upbringing. Um, and then when I was young, child abuse started very early besides the the sexual abuse. Um, another early memory I have is at my my stepmom. So I lived with my, my dad and stepmom in Alma. And um, we, uh, uh, they, well, at this time I did. I was always back and forth between my mom and dad in younger years. And I was, um, my stepmom was constantly just mad at me. She told me she hated males. Um, my older sister Michelle, she was okay with. Um, my my her two daughters, she was perfectly fine with because they were girls. But she hated boys. She always told me that. And she said, um, uh, she said I was a dog. She said I was useless. And she would remind me of this constantly, day in and day out. And I remember one time. So we lived in this house that was just disgusting. Um, and I didn't know any different back then, but. Looking back on it, have you ever ripped up carpet off of hardwood floor? When you rip it up carpet off hardwood floor, it's got this it's got this nasty like padding on it that hasn't been cleaned up and sanded and all that. Well, that's just how our floors were. It had never been cleaned. It was hardwood floor, but it had never been cleaned up, right? It was just disgusting floor. And um, so one time for dinner, we're having spaghetti, and my stepmom, she... Uh, she pours the spaghetti on the floor and told me I had to get on my hands and knees and eat dinner off of this off the hardwood floor. And so that night I ate dinner and she told me I was a dog. And and that's how I ate. Um and one time she had me washing every single dish in the house. Um she just for whatever reason she wanted me to wash every dish in the house and so I wash all these dishes, and then she comes in to inspect them, and she's looking at this bowl, and she, I remember she puts it into my face, and she says, you see, you see this? There's a spot on it, and she's, she's just shoving it in my face, and I'm maybe eight years old. Would you pull up that picture of me when I was a kid? So that's, that's, uh, that's little Josh Cross. So... So you're not looking at me, so you can visualize the kid that I'm talking about. Now, mind you, I don't have many pictures of me as a kid. This is actually a school yearbook photo that a friend of mine sent years to, sent to me a couple years ago and said, hey, I found a picture of you as a kid because I just don't have many uh, pictures of me as a kid. Um, so this l- little boy here, um, I think about my son, Jaron, um, and I was probably eight years old at that time, and... Um, 
So my stepmom, she's having me go through, or she's going through these dishes, and she takes this glass bowl, and she shows it to me, and she says, there's a spot right here, and she starts just screaming at me. And the next thing I know, she just hits me in the head with this bowl, and she just busts my head open. And still to this day, if you look here, I have this nice little scar on my head where she busted my head open when I was eight years old. And the blood just starts pouring out all over the floor. She's just flipping out on me, just screaming at me and just uh, just going crazy. And the blood's just pouring out all over the floor. And, and I'm just standing there freaking out in tears. And and I'm standing in the kitchen and she storms off into into the living room and I go in to the living room because I'm terrified, right? There's just blood everywhere. And and I, I go into the living room and they start yelling at me for bleeding on the carpet, my dad and stepmom. And so my dad picks me up and they, he takes me into the bathroom and he puts me in the bathtub and he just turns on the water. And And I just remember like things are starting to go black. And at some point, he picks the tub is full and he picks me up out of the tub and it's just like full of blood. There's just blood dripping off of me and I look like I'm coming out of a bathtub full of blood. And this was just my normal. This was my normal life. These were normal things for me. So how can how can God use somebody like that? And why would somebody like that trust God in any way, right? Why would somebody like that put his faith in God in any way? I mean, goodness, think about that. And so I proceed to, uh, this is my childhood, uh, my upbringing, all these things, and I can tell you story after story, but you get the point. Um, I proceed to go into foster care. When I was 11 years old, I went to school, and I told my, I told my, uh, uh, I told a counselor um, that I was, I was being abused at home. Finally, got enough courage to say what was going on, and so I go to this counselor and, and I tell him, "Oh, are you lying? Are you lying?" And finally, she's literally accusing me of lying, and. Um, Finally, I just, I turn around and I take my shirt off and I just drop my pants right in her office and my whole back and legs are just completely black and blue because just the night before my stepmom had, she had this board that she would hang on the wall and she took it and she had beat me with it. She used to make me stay up and she'd make me do like push-ups in the living room and if when I would stop, she'd kick me in the ribs and and so um, she had been beating me the night before, and and so I just I was fed up with it. So something inside me gave me enough courage to go and and speak up, and and so the finally the caseworker or, or the counselor, of course, is is in shock and and awe, like I can't believe this. So she proceeds to contact DCFS, and and um, I go home, and then. Uh, they they got me tearing. I'm 11 years old. I'm tearing down a porch, um, our front porch. Uh, I'm, I'm, my dad told me I had to tear it down, so I'm tearing it down and I'm carrying the stuff to the, the all the debris to the back to a fire pit to burn it because um, he was going to have a new porch put in. And so this guy pulls up, a truck pulls up, and the guy gets out and he's a DCFS caseworker. And I remember like I still remember his name, Jim Nessler, is his name. 
And and he, he gets out and he walks up. He says, are your parents here? Um, yeah, they're inside. And he goes inside. I'm terrified. I'm inside like, oh, I'm going to get killed. Like I'm in trouble, right? Because I know exactly what he's here for. So then about then about 15 minutes later, 20 minutes later, they call me in and I come inside. The whole time I'm just terrified and I'm I'm sitting there on the living room floor and and they they want to go over a plan to keep me in the home because that's always DCFS DCFS's plan is to try to keep kids in their home and he, they're talking about me staying and uh, what plan we'll have and finally I just something inside me just had enough courage to say if you leave here I'm not gonna live and I just blurted that out to him and because I knew I wouldn't I said if you leave here without me. I won't live. And and he um by the grace of God he had the and I didn't know at this time that God was working, right? Um by the grace of God he had the courage to at that moment he said, Pack your stuff. And I went and I got this black trash bag and I stuff all my stuff into this black trash bag and carry my stuff out and and we get in his truck and head to Salem to the office, to the DCFS office. It used to be right there by the courthouse. I think, uh, I don't know where it's at now. It was right down from the, or right across from the sheriff's department is where it used to be. And, and we're in there. It was like midnight. So he finally finds me a place to go. Southern 30 Adolescent Center in Mount Vernon, a group home. So I go to a group home. And that was an experience because most kids in a group home aren't the aren't the greatest um, greatest. And I'm just this terrified kid, right? And so I uh, I proceed to I'm in the group home for about a month, and they find a foster home to that would take me uh, in Mount Vernon, and and I go to this foster home, and eventually my aunt Becky and Uncle Chuck they uh, they become foster parents through this process, and they. They said that they would take me, and they said they said he will be his foster parents, and I was, and I was excited about that. Um, and they they, so we're going through the court process and um, in, in this foster home. And I remember uh, in the foster home, this boy that was in the foster home, he he kept wanting to touch me, like he was constantly like wanting to touch me and show me his privates, and and it was just like. Like, why are these things happening, right? Again, that was my normal, though. Like, I, whatever, I guess that's just what happens. And so I end up going to my Aunt Becky and Uncle Chuck's just before I turned 12 years old. It was August of 1996. Um, and for once in my life, I felt like I'm going to be all right. Like, I, I, I it's going to be okay. Um, like, I'm in a good place, right? So... They they proceed to I start at Centralia Junior High School, um, sixth grade. Nobody knows I'm a from because how Centralia works, you merge into school after school, so nobody knows I'm a new kid. Everybody's a new kid at the junior high, merging into Centralia Junior High. So I start to make friends. Uh, my uncle gets me into gets me into like rec ball. I met Josh Tellison <laughs> and in in Centralia rec ball. Um, and and start to make some friends and things start to seem like, you know, this is good, 
right? Like I'm not being beat. Um, uh, things, while things ain't great, I'm not, I'm, I'm living a much better life. And for the next, uh, about four years, my aunt and uncle, they never really, they never fought in front of me or anything. Um, they never, they didn't have a real intimate relationship, but they never really fought in front of me. So it wasn't destructive, not abusive or anything. Um, but then when I was about 16 years old, they came to me and they just said, and I thought things are good, right? Um, and they said they wanted me um, that I couldn't continue to live there. They told me I had to, they was calling my caseworker, my DCFS caseworker, and I had to, I had to move out. And I thought somebody else, somebody else is getting rid of me. Because let me tell you, my mom, I used to beg my mom to let me come back and live with her every time she would send me to live with my dad when I was a kid. And um. And she'd, I'd live with her for a few months, and then she'd, oh, you're going to live with your dad. She just constantly got rid of me. They didn't want me. My Aunt Becky and Uncle Chuck, they just send me off to wherever I came from. And so I proceed to go into a foster home in DeCoin at 16 years old just by, again, knowing what I know now by the grace of God. Keep in mind, back then, in my mind, it was not by the grace of God. In my mind, it was uh, it was by I don't know I don't know what it was I didn't even see it as a good thing. Um, so this woman who is a her name is Emma. She was my foster mom, Emma Williams in the coin. She um, she uh, she was an atheist. She didn't believe in Jesus Christ. She didn't believe that there's a God. We didn't have talks about that. We didn't have talks about God. If the topic did happen to come up, she said, "Man, there's no God. I've seen too many foster kids and seen what they've gone through. Like, there's no way that a God would let foster kids go through this, would let children go through this. Has anybody ever thought that? Yeah, I, I definitely did. And so that was, uh, that was the foundation I had. But Emma did, what she did for me is she believed in me. So God was using her whether she liked it or not. Because Emma used to speak life over me. Every day she would say, she'd say, Josh, you're going to make a difference. And I was like, this woman's crazy. (laughs) I'm a craphead from Centralia slash Alma slash Mount Vernon. I'm a nobody. And she would say, I'm a foster, my thoughts was I'm a foster kid in and out of group homes. Nobody wants me. People just kick me to the curb and that's my norm. And she, she, Josh, you're going to make a difference. And, and she told me that all the time. And so when I decided I want to make, when I decided, okay, I got to be big. I got to be a big kid. I'm 17 years old. I'm about to graduate high school. Um, I got I to gotta make a decision as to what I'm going to do with my life. My vision was I better make a difference because I don't want to let Emma down. I can't let Emma down. If I let Emma down, she's the only person who ever believed in me. And so I got to make a difference. Well, along the way, I used to hate police officers. You can imagine why, right? I was usually running from them. Um, and so they was the bad guy. Mind you, I didn't share with you guys, I have 12 siblings, 12. Um, 
So we, in my younger years, you know, we, we ran from the police and definitely didn't like the police. But that being said, my vision of making a difference at that time was, well, if I'm going to make a difference, the only way I can do it is if I'm a police officer. So I decided I'm going to pursue law enforcement. And I did just that. I went to college for criminal justice um, and met Brittany um, by the grace of God yet again. Um, Brittany was the first uh, first girl that I ever really gave a darn about because um, prior to that, I didn't care about girls whatsoever, but Brittany was just different. And so I... Uh, so I go to college. Brittany and I, of course, uh, have three children today, and we're we're 37 with a 17-year-old. So we started young. Um, and uh, that being said, and a 15-year-old and a 12-year-old. Um, uh, that being said, we uh, go to college, um, get my criminal justice degree, and I start pursuing my law enforcement career. At 21, you can become a cop in Illinois. And I start pursuing my law enforcement career. And I, uh, through that process, that's not an, it didn't used to be an easy process. I don't know today. But it used to be a very, very competitive field. Um, from what I've he- heard now, it's not as competitive. But it used to be. It was very competitive. I'm sure Hannah and Josh, you guys remember. You got to get on a list. You got to like test. You got to. And I tested for so many different departments um, through that, with this dream of I want to make a difference. And all because God used Emma to plant that in me. God used Emma. I didn't know that, and I'll, I'm going to get to that. But God was using Emma to plant that in me. And so I had this dream of I want to make a difference, and and that's why I pursued that, because no other way in my mind could I do that. And so as I um, as I pursue my my law enforcement career, it's not easy. Number one, I was overweight; I couldn't pass the power test, and eventually I I got myself in shape to where I could pass the power test. And then when I got to where I could pass the power test, I'm testing for departments. All over southern Illinois. I'm testing for departments in Memphis, Tennessee, Kentucky, Louisville, Kentucky, uh, Indianapolis. uh, Me and Brittany went through years of me going to all these different departments, testing all to get shot down. All to, it ain't going to work out. Um, And so ultimately I end up becoming a police officer, um, a little town of Ashley, Illinois, uh, just south of here. Yeah, they, they gave me a chance. For a whopping nine bucks an hour, and I had to buy my own gear, which was about fifteen hundred bucks with my gun and duty belt and all that. But I was excited because I'm pursuing I'm pursuing that that dream. I actually went to the police academy with this gentleman here and that gentleman there, and we were all in the police academy together. Um, but I was excited because I'm pursuing. I'm this is how I'm going to make a difference, right? And um, Become, uh, ultimately end up getting a job at Washington County Sheriff's Department and, and was excited about that. My wife, she became a 911 dispatcher at the Sheriff's Department. And then we get into this, and at that time I thought, I've made it, right? I've done it. It's me. Because I remember when I was little and I was going through a beating, I would lay in bed at night in tears, and I would cry, and I'd try to muffle my tears, and I would say, 
when I grow up, nobody's going to hurt me. Nobody's going to be able to hurt me when I grow up because I'm going to be in control of my life. Nobody can get me then. Whenever I'm big, they can't hurt me. And so I'd lay in bed at night and think that. And so once I became a cop, I had that conviction of I've made it. Me. Right? That was my thoughts. So we get in the rut of life. Brittany and I ultimately, seven years at Washington County Sheriff's Department, at 30 years old, were threatening divorce because we just was letting life take control. We was letting life beat us up. And, and I say that because so often we, we allow our circumstances to just weigh on us. And, and I didn't understand why we were doing that. Um, I, looking back, I, it's always so easy. I'll tell you this. It's always so easy to look back at the storm and be like, thanks, God. But when you're in it, does anybody, when you're in the storm, it's like, it's like, why me? Like, why am I going through this, right? But when we look back, we can be like, thank you, God. And we always see that. If we can just live in that moment when we're in the storm, that would be great. I know it's hard to do. Um, but so Brittany and I start threatening divorce. Um, ultimately, are, we are both making horrible mistakes in our marriage. Um, and this goes on for a couple of years. And, and so October of 2014, we... Uh, it was just the turning point for us. It was the catalyst, if you will. And I, uh, I, I, I just get done. I was, I was car to car actually with with the guy that my wife had been talking to, and I called him out. And I'm going through a ton of emotions. And I'm asking. He's a police officer also, so I'm heartbroken because not only have I been betrayed by my wife, but also this this police officer who's supposed to be my brother in blue who I think I can trust, is betraying me as well. And so I'm car to car with him, and, and, I'm, I'm, uh, and I wrap up my shift, and I head home, and I pull into the garage, and I'm sitting there in my garage, and I'm just thinking, this ain't the life I want. This is not the life that I want. I did everything I was supposed to do. You didn't give me anything Everybody else has it. Everybody else, everybody else is born with a great mom and dad. Everybody else is, doesn't got to go through foster care. Everybody else doesn't, gotta be, doesn't have to be molested growing up. Other people don't walk around with a scar on their head where, it was busted, where a glass bowl was busted over their head. Other people didn't have to eat spaghetti off of the floor because they were a dog. Other people weren't sent away by the one couple that finally they felt was safety. Send them back. Other people don't have to go through that. And I fought through that. I went through that. And I did everything I was supposed to do. I went to college. I got a degree. I got a good job. I pursued a family life. I did what I was supposed to do. What am I supposed to do now? It's falling apart. And I sat there in the garage. 
And I pulled my gun out of the holster and I set it on my lap. And I never talked to God prior to this. Mind you, my father-in-law is a Baptist preacher. He tried to reach me for years and he just couldn't. I never talked to God prior to that. And I sat there in the garage. We didn't pray. We didn't. We didn't. We didn't go to church. The only time we went to church was Easter Sunday or Christmas just to make Brittany's dad happy. And I sat there in the garage. And I pulled my gun out of the holster and I set it on my lap. And I said, God, I'm done. I'm sorry, but I'm not doing this for another 30 years of my life because I did everything I was supposed to do. And look where I am. My marriage is falling apart. I was about to be a weekend dad. And I said, I'm sorry. Take care of my family. Take care of my kids if you're real. And so I'm in tears and talking to God for the first time. I never talked to God. And the next thing I know, I hear this beating. I'm in the, I'm in the garage. My garage is detached from the house. My wife is supposed to be gone to, to work. And I hear this beating on my, gar- on my squad car window. And I look up and she's standing there in tears. Because I was about to sit there and take my life because I was broken. And so at that moment in our life, we decided we have to do something different because what we're doing is not working. And I'm forever grateful for that moment because so oftentimes when I share that story with people, they'll say, I'm sorry you went through that. Don't be sorry. If it wasn't for that, if it was not for that moment in my life, I would have never I would have never followed God's plan. So over the course of the next couple months, that opened us up to say, okay, maybe I don't have it figured out. Maybe it's not me. Maybe I need to be open. And so God proceeds to bring people into my life. A gentleman I'm forever grateful for named Jim O'Hickey, who every single Friday he did a, a Bible study. On, on, a, on a conference call, and he lives down in Florida. Um, every Friday he did this Bible study, and I started uh, in, in January of 2015 getting on this Bible study every single Friday. And I just listened to him talk about Scripture. And whatever. But guess what? God brought people in my life that had what I wanted in life, so I listened to them when they invited me on that Bible study. And so I sit and listen to Jim talk about Scripture, and I'm going through. I remember when I first began on the Bible study, it was in the book of Acts. I was on that Bible study with him for over four years, and we went through so many books. It was crazy. Um, But he would literally dissect the Bible um, on, on this Bible study. And by March of 2015, I realized God has been with me. I just haven't been following him. I have not accepted him. I have not allowed him to lead my direction. 
And so I went to my father-in-law and I said, will you baptize me? And he said, do you believe in Jesus Christ? I said, I do. He said, do you believe that Jesus is the son of God and he came to earth and lived a perfect life? Do you believe that he died on the cross for our sins? And I said, I do. And March 22nd, 2015, I was baptized at Christian Chapel Church in McLeansboro. And, and I'm forever grateful to show I was saved and baptized. I showed that through baptism. Baptism does not save us. Believing in Jesus Christ is what saves us. Believing that Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins is what saves us. I'm forever grateful, though, to show that. Um, and here's why. Because as, I'm, as I was, uh, my, my wife recorded my baptism. She posted on Facebook. And the very next day, so mind you, at that same time, I was getting a, our, our finances were getting in line and our, uh, just things were working out good in our life. For some reason, like things were beginning to work out. And, and I had gotten a new job at Caseyville Police Department. And so the very next day, I'm driving to Caseyville Police Department because we still lived in Nashville and I was driving to Caseyville Police Department. And, and I get this and I'm talking to God and I'm talking out loud. I'm like, God, is this all real? Is this all really happening in my life? Like, is this you? Or am I going to have the rug pulled out from under me again real soon, right? Because that's what I'm used to. Is this really you? And I said, I need a sign. And my phone is sitting in my passenger seat, and it starts ringing. And I look at it, and some crazy number. I don't know the number. And I pick up the phone, and I answer it. Hello? Hey, Josh? It's Jim. Jim who? Jim Gillespie. Okay. Hey, I saw your baptism on Facebook, and I just wanted to tell you congratulations, my brother in Christ. And that was all I needed to know that this is God. I just needed that little bit of confirmation to know that he's with me. So by no means has my life from here been butterflies and rainbows and and fairy tales. Um, But... I've just taken one day at a time, just one day, one day at a time, and walked out, what's your next plan for me? Let me be obedient. Let me follow your path. I don't have it figured out. I certainly don't. Just guide me. I try to stay in Scripture the best I can. Um I have some scriptures that have really impacted my life in a big way, some specific scriptures, and I'm going to talk about them. Um, first one's going to be, I'm going to start with Luke, Jake's back there like, Luke eleven five through 10 is the one I'm going to talk about. Yes. I told Jake I didn't know, Jake, I don't, I'm sorry, buddy. Like my mind is ADD. So, Jake, I'm sorry, buddy, but I can't give you an exact agenda of how it's going to come out. I'm going to get it. So, 
Luke 11, 5 through 10. I love this story. Now, Jesus, as we all should know, if we don't, was a storyteller, right? Like that, Jesus was like the ultimate storyteller. He used stories to teach anything and everything. So Jesus proceeds to tell this story. And he says, then Jesus went on to say, suppose one of you goes to a friend in the middle of the night and says, let me borrow three loaves of bread. A friend of mine has dropped in and I don't have a thing for him to eat. And suppose your friend answers, don't bother me. The door is bolted and my children and I are in bed. I cannot get up and give you and give you something. He may not get up and give you the bread just because you are his friend, but he will get up and give you as much as you need simply because you are not ashamed to keep on asking. So I tell you to ask and you will receive. Search and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened for you. I absolutely love that scripture because sometimes we want to quit. Does anybody else ever feel like sometimes I want to sit in a garage and I want to eat a bullet? Or sometimes I want to quit showing up at church. Or sometimes I don't want to be around these people. Or sometimes, whatever it may be for you, I want to quit. I, I, I want to quit this marriage. Sometimes that's how we feel. We want to quit. And that scripture has taught me to keep asking, keep knocking, stay persistent, no matter what. Stop living in how you feel and start living, walking out what you're committed to. I'm committed to whatever plan God has for me. I certainly don't want to be standing up here. I certainly don't want to be preaching today. And I told, I told JT, I said, you know what the good news is? If I do horrible, I won't have to do it again. <laughs> right? If I do bad, they're, they're not going to get me up there again. The flip side of that is, if I do good, then I'm in trouble. But I'm standing up here right now because I want to walk out. Because Ronnie, for whatever reason, God put it on Ronnie's heart for me to get up here during the I Am Second series and share my story. And so I'm committed to staying that course and just not quitting. Luke fourteen eleven. This one's a hard one for me. It reads, if you put yourself above others, you will be put down. But if you humble yourself, you will be honored. It also reads, I think in, the, uh, in another version it reads, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled and everyone who humbles himself will be exalted. That's something that's been really hard for me. Now, guys, these are my scriptures, and I'm telling you why they mean something to me, right? Um, that's something that's been really hard for me. 
because all my life it had to be me taking care of me and making sure everything's good. And so it's very hard sometimes for me to humble myself. And I'm not always the best at it. But that scripture is what I resort to to remind me, Josh, shut up. Exalt somebody else. Philippians 4, 6. Philippians 4, 6 reads, Don't worry about anything, but pray about everything. With thankful hearts, offer up your prayers and requests to God. Man, let me tell you something about worry. Worry is rooted from fear. Worry always stems from fear, some kind of fear. Fear and faith do not coexist. Ever. Ever. And one thing I've begun to notice is that the stronger my faith becomes, the lesser my fear is. I fear way less the more I strengthen my faith. Way less. So I, how I do that is by staying prayerful. Now we pray over dinner. We pray, we pray I mean, all the time. Uh, sometimes I'm just laying in bed just praying. Your prayers don't have to be spectacular. They don't have to be Father, Thou art. Just talk to God. Just talk to Him. This morning I'm up at like 621 this morning and I'm just talking to God. God, just give me the right words. God, I don't care if I offend someone in here. I just don't want to offend you. God, I don't care what they think. I just want to, I care what you think. I don't want to let you down. Just talk to your buddy. Because let me tell you, whenever you don't have a father, an earthly father figure in your life, It's real hard to believe that God is a good God, that he's a good father. That's something I struggle with. But I know that if I continue to talk to him and I continue to ask and I continue to ask him for a pray to him for direction, he'll guide me. And then my favorite is John 6.29. It's actually 6.28 and 29. I I summarize it with just 6.29, but I'll read 6.28 and 6.29. What exactly does God want us to do, the people asked. And Jesus answered. This right here is what God wants us to do to be saved. 
God wants you to have faith in the one he has sent. That's it. See, Josh, it doesn't matter if you've done it all, what you were supposed to do. It doesn't matter if, statistically speaking, you were supposed to be in prison or dead or on drugs, and you did what you were supposed to do, Josh. See, God doesn't expect, I don't, that, that's not what's going to save me. What's going to save me is if I believe in the one he has sent. See, we can do all the good deeds in the world. We can be the nicest guy in the world. We can be the hardest worker in the world. But if we don't believe in Jesus Christ, we're not going to heaven. That's just the facts. And I fear one of my biggest regrets. I was already... Already, whenever Emma passed, Emma, my foster mom, my kids know her as Grandma Emma. When she passed, she died of, she had brain cancer, and we're, we're at her house, and she's, she can't even talk. Um, and I had an opportunity to speak to her. She could, she could nod and uh, give me, like, grunts, but she couldn't talk. And she's laying in bed, and I'm talking to her. And I was already... I was already digging into Scripture. I was already following Christ. And I didn't say a word to Emma, somebody I know who doesn't believe in Jesus, on her deathbed. I didn't say a word to her. I didn't ask her if she believed in Christ. The only thing I said to her was thank you. I said, thank you for believing in me on her deathbed. And I forever regret that because I don't know if I'm going to see Emma ever again. And that's hard. So that's probably the most important scripture to me. It is the most important scripture to me because I have to remember that It doesn't matter how great I am. Emma was a great person. She is awesome. That woman forever changed my life. God used her to change my life. But if I or she or you don't believe in Jesus Christ, I'm not the one to judge your salvation. That's not my my job. But I know that Scripture says the one thing we have to do is believe in the one he has sent. Worship team, if you'll come up here. I don't think I took too long. So in closing... Here's what I want to ask. If you are sitting in this room and you thought, I'm not good enough. 
if you thought, God, why me? Why would you do this to me? If you thought, I'm just a dog. i got to eat off the floor. If you thought, when's the next time the rug's going to be pulled out from under me? Leave it here. I want to invite you to leave it at the altar today. Don't walk out of this building. It's not going to be an easy walk. After this, it's not, everything's not going to be butterflies and rainbows moving forward. But it's going to get better. And if you'll walk it out one day at a time and just leave it here, leave those fears, those doubts, the why me's here, it's going to get better. And just trust in him. I just pray that today you guys have had an opportunity to see through my story God can use me. He can use you. If God can use me, he can use you in a big way. And I still don't know what his plan is for me. I don't know what I'm going to do when I grow up. (laughs) But I'm going to walk it out. And I want to challenge you to do the same. Will you walk it out with me? If you have any anything that's holding you back, leave it here at the altar today. Guys, deacons, if you guys would come up here, just in case anybody has any anything that they want to leave here, that any prayer requests, you guys, if you have anything at all, you too, if you'd come up here and help. anybody has anything at all, I want to invite you to just come up here with our prayer team and leave it at the altar. Thank you, guys. As a church, it's our honor to play a small part in all that God is doing in and through your life, and we would love to continue with you on that journey. You see, it's our mission to lead people to become fully devoted followers of Christ who walk by faith and not by sight.